I apologize if I have given you the impression that uh, I was antisocial this morning, or if I have not returned your calls over the past couple of days. I am recovering from being sick, and so um, don't worry. I've sanitized, washed my hands. The doctors say I'm not contagious anymore, so um, we're just going to trust them because doctors are always right. Right? And um, hopefully between some lukewarm green tea and some water, we'll be able to make it through this sermon. So uh, turn your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me ask you this, uh, this question. Fill in this blank, right? Prayer is blank. Right? Um, let's see. Prayer is good. Probably need to work on your vocab some. All right. Prayer is necessary. Maybe what you came up with. Prayer is wonderful. Uh, prayer is a part of the Christian life. Whatever it is that you, you put in that blank, what we're going to be doing over the course of the summer is we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, right? We're going to do a series on prayer, and we're going to be specifically looking at, what, at what's called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It's this model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, right? And there's a couple of reasons why we're going to do this. One, uh, because we need it. Uh, we need it as a, as a church body. We need it as a community. In, in June, on Wednesday nights in June, um, this is our first official announcement of this, but our, on Wednesday nights in June, we are going to be gathering here for prayer, right, for corporate prayer. And we're going to be praying for our church. We're going to be praying for um, our community, Clanton. We're going to be praying for revival, right? And so I figured it would be helpful that as we begin those times in prayer together, that we take uh, an in-depth look at how Jesus wants his followers to kind of model their own prayers. And so that's what we're going to be studying as we study the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I don't want, here's what I don't want to happen, okay? Uh, what I don't want to happen is that like when we get here, when we gather together on Wednesday nights, or even when you pray on your own, here's what I don't want this series to do in your life. I, I don't want this to happen like, okay, okay, I'm going to pray, and Kevin told me that, that this part has to come first, and then this part comes next, and then this part, right? This is, prayer is not a mathematical formula, like A plus B plus C equals happy God, okay? That's really not how prayer works. That's not what Jesus intended for the Lord's Prayer, right? This is not the only prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Uh, it's not the, they're not the only words that Jesus ever used in prayer when he talked to his Father. And so we know that we can step outside those bounds as well. But let's put it this way. The, the Lord's Prayer is they're, they're guidelines, not a straitjacket. Okay? So I don't want you to see this series as, a, as straitjacketing your prayer, but rather hopefully helping your prayer. Because here's the second reason, right? Not only do we need this as a church, but I need this. Right? Um, because my, my prayer life is a joke, right? And, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a big confession considering that I'm about to be installed as your pastor. So it's too late. You've already voted. But um, just to say it up front, now that you've already said yes, um, I guess that can be taken back. Um, I mean, if there are only two things that I need to do in a week, 
If there were only if there were only two things that I had time to do in a week, it ought to be pray and preach. Now, of course, there are other things that happen in a week, but really, a minister's main priorities, right, ought to be prayer and the Word. And yet, sadly, when I look at my life, uh, I don't. My, my prayers are short, and they're usually crisis-driven, right? They're they're said in a moment and they're done, right? But what I want for my life is this kind of extended communion with God. I want to learn how to practice the presence of God better. And so I need this. And I reckon that if I need it, well, then some of you may need it too. And so that's what we're going to do. That's why we're going to spend uh, our time this summer looking at the Lord's Prayer. Now, interesting, before, uh, before Jesus tells his disciples how to pray, he tells them how not to pray. So that's what we're looking at today is how not to pray. Now, you might think, uh, Kevin, aren't, I mean, it's religion, right? So it's all good. Like, you, are you telling me that there are bad prayers? I'm not telling you that. Jesus is about to tell you that. Okay? Yes, there's a wrong way to pray, and Jesus, actually, there's two wrong ways to pray, and Jesus is going to point out both of them. So let's look at Matthew 6, verse 5, and let's pray before we read. Father of grace and glory, as we come again to your word, Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts, Lord, that we would learn the meaning of these verses, that you would apply them to your people, and Lord, most of all, that we would see Jesus, uh, who is the perfecter of our faith. Teach us to pray. We ask in his name, amen. Matthew chapter 6. I'm actually going to read verse 1 because it kind of sets the tone for the whole chapter. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 5. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Um, Tell you a little story about me as a 16-year-old. I think this I think this same malady play, plagues all 16-year-olds or those at least who are close to driving, but especially guys. Um, my first car, what I wanted was a Jeep Cherokee, but what I got was a 1990 Ford Tempo. And there's a reason Ford don't make that car anymore, right? Uh, I don't think they make the Cherokee anymore either. That's the Grand Cherokee, but I digress. Uh, so I had a Ford Tempo, but that did not keep me 
from trying to look as cool as I could in my Ford Tempo, right? Um, I had lots of friends who bought and installed their own uh, speaker systems, right? They turned their junker cars into, like, bass machines. I, I didn't do that. However, I did install my own CD player. Uh, and what I would do when I would pull into a parking lot, especially where my, my friends were, and of course, my hat was turned. This happened. This really happened. My hat was turned around backwards. I had my Oakley sunglasses on because I could only wear Oakleys. They're not cool anymore. They were then. Maybe they were then. Um, right? But I would, I, would, I would turn the bass way up on my CD player, on my factory speakers, right? And then I would turn the volume way up, right? Okay? Uh, and here's, right, what, what, did I, what did I want people to think when I drove? I probably know what they were thinking, but what did I want people to think when I pulled into the parking lot, right? I want to be like, yeah, man, here comes Kevin. I'm so glad he's here, right? I wanted to impress other people. Uh, and you're laughing because that sounds ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, right? Because, I mean, look, because some of you still do this, right? Well, the dual exhaust is so that the air pulls through the blah, 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 whatever. You do this still today, right? The reason your car is loud is because you want other people to be impressed, okay? It is ridiculous, right? We are, we are desperate for the approval of other people, right? Uh, we have a proclivity to seeking out the applause and approval of other people, right? <laughs> Says the guy with the big truck and dual <laughs> Aaron was done. This sermon was just for him. Right? Uh, and whether you were dorky like me or you were cool in high school, right, you did this. And don't lie, you still do it. Right? Um, the game may have changed a little bit, but you still tend to operate out of this base. And what's, and what's really convicting is that when it comes to our religious life, which is what Jesus is dealing with here, it even creeps into that. This desire to win the approval and applause of others even creeps into our life with God, right? And it even creeps into our prayers. And so that's why Jesus says, right, beware of doing your righteousness, right, of, of living your religious life so that others can be seen, so that others see it, right? And he doesn't mean that, your whole religious life ought to be lived in private. What he means is you living your life so that you will be approved, right? So that you will be applauded by those who see you, right? <coughs> I'm sorry, I coughed into my mic. And he actually does, there's three ways he does this in Matthew 6. First, he tackles giving to the poor, then prayer, then fasting. All three things which are very good and all three all three things which are very easy to corrupt by thinking that other people are watching us. Because what do we want people to say? What a godly man. What a great man of prayer. What a smart woman. What, what a godly woman. I would follow her to the ends of the earth, right? That's what we want people to say. What a strong woman, right? It's subtle. It's very subtle. See, we think... We think that it's just for the ostentatious, showy, like, that could never be me. But it is you, and it is me, right? We think that the people that Jesus is describing, the Pharisees, who would stand on the street corners so everybody could see them, 
well, I would never do that. That would never be me. But are there not ways in which this, uh, this self-interest intrudes itself on your life at various points? Let's look at these two approaches and see what Jesus has to say about them. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Okay, so you get, actually, let's define hypocrisy. Since we get, since, since Christians and the church get charged with hypocrisy a lot, well, it's better that we, it's, it's good that we should know what it means, okay? Uh, philosopher Peter Kreeft defines it this way. Hypocrisy is not the failure to practice what you preach. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not the failure to practice what you preach, but the failure to believe it. All right? American Heritage Dictionary. Hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess falseness all right so you cannot call me a hypocrite for trying to live out what i believe but failing that's not hypocrisy that's just fallen nature right so if i'm trying to be consistent with what i believe but i fail at it that's not hypocrisy hypocrisy is when i live something that i do not believe that in my heart i don't own it right now, there's still plenty of that in the church, but I think that's a helpful demarcation for us to make, that true hypocrisy is living something you don't actually believe. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what Jesus charges them with, <clears throat> right? He charges them with, their, look, and their prayers, right? Okay, so you get the picture in your head. These guys, um, they would walk to the corner of the street, so now they can be seen from multiple angles. And it was common in Judaism especially New Testament Judaism, for people to stop and pray throughout the day. Okay, that was very common, still common today. What these guys would do is they would make sure they were in a place where they could be seen first, right? And they would lift up their hands and they would pray. But you can imagine that the whole time they're praying, they're doing this right here, right? They're looking around to see who's watching them, okay? Because they're not actually praying. They're not actually talking to God. They're looking, as, uh, as Lady Gaga says, right? They live for the applause, right? They are, they are looking for the applause of the people watching them. They want, the, they want people to say of them, man, what great prayers he has. How beautiful, how biblically accurate they are. And all of those things could be true. But it didn't matter because they weren't actually talking to God, right? And Jesus says this, right? Um, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What Jesus says is, if that's what you want, if the approval uh, and applause of others is what you want and all you want, that is what you will get. That is all you will get. They have received their reward. Reward, right? And as Jesus says in 6.1, they will not receive a reward from their Father in heaven, right? So uh, if, 
If the approval and applause of others is what you live for, if that is what fills your tank or what you think fills your tank, friend, that's all you're going to get. And there will be nothing left. (coughs) And like I said, don't think that this cannot be us, right? Just because maybe we're not as ostentatious or showy. Even on our own, don't we allow the opinions of others to intrude on our minds? Right? Even, even when we try to pray privately, we can allow these, these, this demon to kind of come in and assault our minds and say, well, I should really pray like this because if Kevin were listening, he thinks I should pray like this. Right? Okay? That is living for the approval of others. And that is a treasure that will never satisfy. Right? Imagine, imagine trying to gather gold into a box with a hole in the bottom of it. That's what gathering the approval of others is like. Really, it's like your Ebenezer Scrooge just gathering up piles of dirt. Right? Like, oh, this is precious and it's mine. While the giver of gold stands behind you with his arms wide open and welcomes you into his presence. Right? Um, when we thirst for the approval of others, we'll get a reward, but it won't be a reward that lasts very long, and it won't be a reward that satisfies. Because the thing about winning approval is you've got to keep re-winning it, right? The, the, the athlete still has to be just as good as he was, right? You still have to make the touchdowns to get the paycheck, whatever, right? The hard thing about man's approval is you always have to re-win it. It always has to be re-earned over and over again. And the beautiful thing about God's is it doesn't have to be earned by you at all. It's earned by Jesus and then given to you freely. And you always have it, and it can never be taken away. Jesus says in verse 6, right, how do we, what's the better way? If we don't want to pray like the hypocrites, what's the true way? Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Is Jesus saying that public prayer should not happen? Right? Is he saying this only means that you are to pray in private, you are never to pray in front of other people? No, of course not, because Jesus prayed in front of other people, okay? Um, we have lots of prayers where there, it's perfectly acceptable to have small group prayer, to pray in a worship service. It happens all the time, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. So why pray in secret, right? Jesus says, go into your room. And so the word there, uh, in their homes, this would have been a room in the middle of the house, and it would not have had any windows, okay? And oftentimes it was even where you stored your valuables, And Jesus says, I want you to go into this room, and I want you to shut the door. Why in secret? Why pray to your Father in secret? Well, who's not there? Everybody else, right? (coughs) In secret, there's no one watching. There's no one listening. Um, the The word hypocrite... This is, uh, the word hypocrite comes from Greek actors, okay? And the way, they, the, the way that Greek theater worked is they would use huge masks, okay? Um, 
So actors would put on different masks. All right. In, uh, in the secret place, the mask can come off because there's not anybody you're trying to impress. And even if you were to wear the mask and try to impress God, he's not impressed. Right? All of that stuff, all that pretense, that wall that you have built up to impress other people, God sees right through that. All those things are transparent to him. And so the beautiful, things about, the beautiful thing about what happens in the inner room is all the pretense can be dropped and the mask can be taken off. And it's, an ama- it's, a, it's amazing what happens when we're not being pretentious anymore, when we're not faking it anymore, we're not being false anymore. We can actually be honest, right? We can actually pour our hearts out. And Jesus is saying that's what the Father longs for. He longs to hear his children ask for help, right? Um, I'll give you an example. One of my sons is particularly stubborn. <coughs> um, well, I should say he's, he, he is very easily frustrated, and he loves to build. And if, he's not, if it's not going the way he wants it to go, something's not sticking together, the lid won't open or whatever, Rather than ask for help, he just slams it on the floor, right? And he'll, he'll grunt, and he'll stomp, and he'll slam it on the floor, all right? And what we're trying to train him to do is to ask for help, right? Instead of getting frustrated, ask for help. Because it delights me when my sons ask for help. Because that means we share time together. Right? It means he wants me there. He wants me by his side. He doesn't have to be frustrated. He doesn't have to be pretentious. Right? And that's what happens. That's what Jesus wants to happen in the secret place. Right? The Father who is there in secret, the only one who's there, the only one who's listening, he hears your prayer. Right? And he rewards you. So... Good prayer first genuinely seeks God and not the approval of others. But then there's a second example that Jesus gives, and it's in verse 7. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. All right, as soon as I read this, it makes me think of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um... The students have probably heard me teach on it a lot, right? It's this battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I know it's your favorite too, right? Okay, so here's the thing. It's in first, if you want to go there, you can. It's 1 Kings 18, verses 20 through 40. I'm going to paraphrase most of it and just read some of it. But here's, here's the deal, okay? Elijah sets up, Elijah is a prophet. He works for God. He speaks for God. And he sets up this fight. Right? He sets up this contest between God and the false god, Baal. And there's one Elijah, and there's 450 prophets of Baal. And he, and he gathers all of Israel together, because sadly at this point, many people in Israel tried to worship both Baal and God. And so Elijah calls everybody together, <clears throat> and in front of all the people he says, Listen, stop limping between two opinions. If Baal is God, then follow him. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But you can't do both. And so, of course, like the people are just like, okay. And so here's what he does. He says, 
we're going to set up two altars, right? And we're going to put a bull on there, and, and, which, and, we're, and then we're going to pray to each to our God, and whichever altar is consumed by fire, that's who the real God is. All right? So, uh, Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first. And this is what it says in 1826. They took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Okay, so they set it up, they put the sacrifice on it, and they start doing their thing, right? Right? Because this is the way, this is the way Gentiles pray. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's what I talked about earlier, where you treat prayer like a mathematical formula. If I say this, and then do this, and lift my leg in this particular way, then God will respond to my prayers, right? So I want you to think, think Native American tribal dances, okay? I don't say that to be... Um, offensive that just you know i think we've all seen either movies or read in books about the rain dances and stuff like that if you wanted a particular response from god you did this particular motion if you wanted this response you did this particular motion right and so what you're doing is you're just going through the motions right you're treating your approach to god as if it's a mathematical formula and that as long as you get each of the pieces right then god will respond to you that's what the prophets of baal thought <clears throat> and here's where here's why i love the story one because they're they're praying and they're dancing all morning long and nothing's happening and then elijah starts talking trash verse 27 at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is uh, deep in thought, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a long trip, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Right? He starts talking trash to him. He starts saying, mm, Maybe you guys should shout louder. Doesn't seem like he's hearing you. Maybe, maybe he's on a long trip. Maybe he's in the bathroom. But if you just keep shouting... Maybe he needs to, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to wake your God up with more shouting, right? And so Elijah is taunting the prophets of Baal. And here's how they respond. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. So they take it to the next level. This formula didn't work, so now I'm going to up the ante. And in their particular custom... Right? That involved shouting more, being ecstatic, and even cutting themselves. Right? This is how I'm going to get God's attention. Here's the sad reality. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's what Jesus is warning us about, right? He says, don't pray like the Gentiles do. They think that they will be heard because they use lots of words, because they do it the right way. They think that they can somehow manipulate God into responding to them. That's not how this works, right? What does Jesus say? Don't be like them, 
For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's see how Elijah prays. <coughs> then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. All the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And here's what Elijah does. He builds this altar back up. It's got stones on the bottom, wood on the top. He then puts the bull on it. And then he says this, take four water jars, fill them up, and dump it on the altar. And they do it. Oh, and he dug a trench around the altar. And then he says, do it again. So they fill up the four water jars, and they drench it again. He says, do it a third time. They fill up the water jars, and they drench it again. So now this altar, this sacrifice, is drenched in, soaked in, surrounded by, like the trench around is now full of water. It's soaked. There is no human way this fire is going to be lit. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. What do you think happened? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Everything. You ever seen rocks burn? They did that day. Right? Fire fell from heaven. Elijah's prayer was not showy. It was not ostentatious. It approached God on his terms, right? He opened up by saying, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And that would be helpful for us, not those exact words. But when you come to the Lord in prayer, take a moment to prepare your approach to know who it is that you are approaching, who it is that you are coming before. So maybe you praise God as the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer. Maybe you find a verse in the Psalms that helps get you ready to come into the presence of God because that's what prayer is. Prayer is us entering into seeking the presence of God. And then like Elijah, Elijah sought God's glory and the good of God's people. And those are prayers, y'all, that God is always glad to answer. Let's go back real quick to Matthew 6. What's the difference between a son of God and a Gentile? A Gentile thinks, right, somebody who doesn't worship the Lord thinks that if I go through these motions, if I say this many words, God will hear me, God will respond. Jesus says, don't be like that. No, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, some might say, well, then why do I need to pray? If God knows what I need before I, before I even ask, why pray? Well, prayer is not really for you, per se. Excuse me, prayer is not really for God, per se, right? So we can answer that question, why do I need to pray if God already knows the answers to my prayer, already knows what I need? 
All right? The easy answer is, well, because God tells you to. But if that won't do, uh, let's, let's move a little bit deeper beyond that. Think about it this way. Prayer is really for you. Right? Have you ever been in that situation where you come to the Lord and you pray and you're thinking, this is the request that I need to make. This is, what I need to, this is what I need the Lord to do for me. This is the person that God needs to change. And as you're praying that, your prayers actually change. Because as that prayer comes out of your mouth, you realize, no, that person's not the problem. I am. No, I don't really need that at all. I need this. Y'all, that happens in prayer. And so we pray because we want to seek God's face and we want to be molded and shaped by God, our Father. So the difference between a son and a Gentile is that the son can come in confidence. The son comes in confidence, or the daughter, the son or daughter comes in confidence knowing that God hears his prayer, right? Knowing that God knows your need. We don't have to go through the motions. We don't have to check A, B, and C. We don't have to think that if we stand on one foot and wave our hand in the air, this is what God is going to do. That's not how Christian prayer works because we have a father and he longs to delight us and so we can come to him in confidence, right? So don't pray like the Gentiles. They're not trusting, right? True prayer a good approach to prayer is that it's both true and it's trusting. <clears throat> Let me close with this. How do you gain that confidence? How do you gain that confidence that the Lord will hear you when you cry out to him? And that you don't have to keep dancing in circle like the prophets of Baal? How do you gain the, prof- how do you gain the confidence of the prophet Elijah? Is there somebody whose life was always confidently lived before the Father? Is there someone whose life was always perfectly anchored in the Father's will and he never did anything to impress or get the applause of others? Yes. His name was Jesus. Right? And by his perfect life and by his atoning death, we get the confidence to enter into God's presence And talk to him. We don't have to be like the Pharisees. We don't have to be hypocrites. Right? We don't have to do it to win others' approval. Let's be done with that. Nor do we have to play games and try to manipulate God to get him around to our way of seeing things. Rather, let's enter into the presence of God through Jesus confidently. And let's let's have him work on our hearts. And mold us and shape us into the image and the people that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, I'm glad that you tell us in your word how not to pray. How not to approach you. And that we can discern from that how to approach you. Lord, I pray as we work our way through this series, this these prayer prayers, <coughs> Father, that you would be molding and shaping us. Make us into the people that you long for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.